Welcome to The Voice of Retail for the week of March 18th, 2019. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, and this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada and sponsored by Stream Commerce, North America's fastest-growing Shopify Plus agency. Learn more at streamcommerce.com. In this episode, part two of my interview with Blue Mountain Village Association President Andrew Siegwert, chatting about Chinese tourism and the best ways for retailers to maximize the visitor opportunity. Plus, an exclusive interview with Rent Frock Repeat President, co-founder Christy Weber, with groundbreaking news on her pivot for this multiple award-winning e-commerce site. Then I'll cover off top retail news of the week, including DSW name change and Canadian expansion, the run-up to April 1st Retail Cannabis Launch Day in Ontario, a new miracle on 34th Street, and Dollar General's big U.S. expansion as the bifurcation of retail continues. But first, let's listen now to my interview with Andrew and then Christy. You mentioned uh, China, so let's talk about... uh not only is experience important in retail, but so is traffic. So in your world, mm. and let's talk about, uh, you know, I know at, at Blue Mountain Village, just people who live there have uh, condos, but I imagine a lot of what you do is driven by tourist traffic. And, and of course, 100%. there's a deep connection, a deep connection between uh, tourism and, and retail. So I wanted to explore that particularly. Sure. And, and um, why don't we start out uh, I want to get to talking about uh, China because there's just so vitally important that tourism market, as you've already mentioned. But what are some of the other overall trends that you're seeing? And then we can spend some time talking about uh, the Chinese tourism market uh, specifically. Sure. You, like overall tourism trends. Sure. There's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, much like much like retail um, experiences really drive and the experiential component. Uh, and so that, you know, in our world translates to uh, things like attractions, but even a retail store at a tourism destination has to offer uh, something more elevated in order to really get someone to come in and buy. And, and visitors, when they go to those destinations, they expect it. Tourists are doing a lot less planning upfront today than they did even five years ago. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I will, uh, on occasion, I will work our guest services info booth right in the smack in the middle of the village. And I love to do it because I get really good insights on on what people are looking for. And I can't tell you how many people come up and will say, good afternoon, I just arrived. I don't know what to do. (laughs) And if you think about, you know, five years ago, people would never, people would be very prepared. But that trend also... That's so so interesting because... You know, could we, I, I would have almost expected the inverse because you've yeah. got so much, you, you, know, you get so much access, whether it's guidebooks or whether you've guidebooks, got the internet, apps, that you, maybe mobile for sure. Well, then I, th- I mm-hmm. think because those tools are so readily available, people just go, well, I'll figure it out when I get there. But the interesting thing is, I mean, we are investing a lot in technology and a lot in mobile driven strategies to connect visitors to the experiences they want. But at the end of the day, when there's a little booth and a person there, it is, it's incredible to watch how many people will leverage that channel as well. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. So connected to that trend, you know, more fully independent uh, traveling versus packages is becoming the norm. So, again, in the past, a lot of people would go in advance. They would pre-prepare. They would get that package that would get them their transportation, their, you know, their, their hotels. They would have all the different things that they would see and do all in one package. Some wholesaler or operator would sell it to them and away they go. Much more popular today is is independent free spirit travel, um, and uh, people uh, are very comfortable to be less prepared, um, but they really want to do things on their own and they want to be explorers. And as a result of that, they really want people to help them along the way. So that's a kind of an in- interesting dynamic. Um, 
food and culinary are massive drivers. They're just huge. And I think it relates a lot to, you know, it tells the story of the culture of a destination and of an environment. But, you know, I, I, it's, you know, when, as I was exploring some of this through my work here, I mean, it was, it was came naturally to me because I thought of all of the shopping centers that have made so Mm -hmm. many investments in food and clearly those are paying off. The other thing is, um, and and you're seeing, and you're seeing that go only one direction with, with both Oxford, primarily Oxford starting bespoke food courts, mm. right? That, that are food experiences. One's up in upper Canada in in Ontario. One is opening up in, uh, in square one. And of course you've got Italy, uh, as a standalone opening up later in the fall in Toronto. So you really, you really see that capturing both of, um, you know, it's not just your your ordinary twenty year ago food court. It's just not going to cut it. it. It's it's that has a purpose, but these bespoke things have really taken uh, taken a big place, certainly in the oh, in yeah. the shopping malls. Oh, they are a wow mm. factor. And when you look at when you look at things like uh, customer reviews and social media, food is highly photographed. It's highly experiential. It's often shared with the people that you're with, so it's very tied to memories. And so, you know, food has to be. Um, it has to be dealt with 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 such purpose, and we're, I'm seeing a lot of that happen. And you know, quite frankly, especially when you're when you're out uh, as a tourist and you're visiting a destination, um, you always have to eat. <laughs> you know, you right. can opt, you can you can you maybe opt out of a of a purchase, but food is going to always be the priority. So it also makes it challenging for associated retailers and service providers because they're competing with that that bias toward food, family time, and mm. and experience. So the the beauty of that is is what you're seeing are these retail concepts that are that are really fun and engaging and and leveraging some of that food as well. Kind of like I you know I think of the Italy. I've seen small. Small businesses yeah. take elements of that concept, uh, and and people love it. You mentioned China, so let's spend some time on on China. It's such a big role, and, and I imagine you know it's interesting days, of course, in the in the Canada uh, Canada Chinese political yeah. relationship, and and it feels like um, I was looking at some statistics from December, where there was just I think there was a record number of visas, and it was a big year in yeah. 2018. But it, it you know just hearkening back to what you said. This, this planning years ahead, it feels like we're going to feel the impact of this political turmoil or whatever you want to call it um, in a in the years to come, not in the months to come. What's your, what's your thoughts around um, you know the short, long term, and, and the importance of the Chinese tourism yeah. to, uh, to your say, area and to retail in general? So let's start with the the Chinese market in general. I mean, it's it is it's massive. Mm. Um, the Chinese government just in the last few years opened up its visas uh, and Canada became a preferred nation. So that really opened the market uh, to the Chinese traveler uh, for Canada. And so um, one of the things that we have. And what is what is that, Andrew, what does that mean when you're a preferred nation? It means uh, it means that the Chinese government will, will, will allow you to travel there easier. Uh, there's mm. less barriers and uh, okay. less hassles. So uh, when you want to go away on vacation, you can follow those paths of least resistance. I mean, there's more technical details behind it, but the market is strong. We have a very large uh, Chinese Canadian community, especially in the major markets around the GTA, Vancouver, other other places. And so with that, with that opening and the sort of visiting friends and relatives dynamic of where you've got people coming from overseas, uh, they're visiting their friends and relatives who have a close proximity to a destination like ours. Uh, you know, so one one visit from overseas is actually generating 
a whole family coming to visit and spend time together. Um, a very high spend, very oriented toward orientation, very technolo technologically driven, and, and also very comfortable independent travelers and adventurous travelers. So, um, you know, all of those demographics and uh, psychographics, uh, you know, lend well to the market working. And so we have been we have been working with both Destination Ontario and Destination Canada for a number of years. Uh, we're very fortunate in tourism because there are both provincial across the country and federal agencies that are dedicated to helping to seed a future market growth. And so we collaborate very closely with those entities and they've done a lot of the lion's share of the of the work to to cultivate the markets in China or South Asia or, or other places. So we can, again, tourism is very collaborative. We do that, you know, a, as a country, I think that the impacts of what we're what we're experiencing right now ultimately will be you know short lived. They probably won't be a, a long term impact. Um, there may be some there may be you know a few decisions put on hold while there's a bit of uncertainty. But Canada is such a favored destination, um, and we have such a, a a large Chinese Canadian population. I think those intersections are going to stay strong. I mean, when you look at um, you look at the Yorkdale and, and how Yorkdale has um, cultivated the Chinese visitor from everything from assortment to their their early adopting of union pay and other payment methods. I was reading this um, article that talks about uh, China is the world's biggest spender in international tourism, and a lot of that is purchases made and then brought back home. But even that apparently is changing a little bit that, you know, it's this, it's this yin and yang, so to speak, opportunity where retailers are realizing that there's a big market in China, but some of that's already being served by Chinese tourists buying here and bringing home. Um, so I'm not sure it's going to be, uh, I don't know, what do you, have yeah. you got, have you well, talked to any of your local merchants about that? What's uh, your experience? I, mean, I would say that, um, uh, it, it's definitely a market that um, while they are visiting, they will make purchases. Often it's to complement the activities and experiences that they are engaging mm -hmm. in. And that, you know, when we talk a little bit about tourism and retail and how they kind of work together, I mean, one of the big things is, is that visitors spend in a number of different ways. So I'll give you an example. You'll have a family uh, our learn to ski programs are are very heavily used, and a lot of visitors and a lot of international visitors love them, and, and new Canadians too. Actually, it's it's a great piece of Canadiana to get on skis, get a lesson, and, and experience it. So you'll have a family from China who will come and visit. They will absolutely stay at a very nice hotel. They're going to the whole family is going to engage in the activity and. While they're there, they're going to look for the accessories that will complement that. So perhaps it might be buying a pair of sunglasses that they need or toques or mitts or, or ski outfits. So I think there's a, there's a connection to the experiences that they're looking for and then the associated purchases that might go along with them. And I think that link between why, why, why they're visiting and why we're here and what, what we could be sold to help them elevate that experience is, the, is probably the trick. Do you have any tips for retailers anywhere in the country, whether it's small retailers or otherwise around how best to to serve the, the tourists, not just the Chinese tourists, but the general tourist who arrives? You've already highlighted some great trends. 
mm-hmm. um, but that can work their way into a merchandising strategy. But any anything you've seen that really jumps out at you that, that does it really well in your community or any other communities? I had this really interesting experience. I went to Tofino, which is on Vancouver Island last fall. And it was interesting to me that I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's one of the most magical places in mm-hmm. the country by far. And what I found really interesting as a visitor is when I, and I did a fair bit of shopping. I'm still supporting our members. <laughs> I still call them our members. Across <laughs> the country. One of the things that they did there that really impressed me was wherever I went, most of the stores that I went to, um, they had this really grassroots and authentic referral culture built. Um, so the associates in, in all of the businesses, they, they asked really good probing questions. Where are you visiting from? You're a tourist. And then they made very, very personal um, referrals and recommendations to different attractions and stores and restaurants. And they did it in such a way that I, I, as a tourist, you just felt like, wow, these people are taking care of me and I'm getting an insider tip. And in some cases, I'm being told, go talk to this individual who will really help you out. And as a visitor, I found that to be a very smart strategy for all of the stores and restaurants. Um, because what they were doing was they were helping to make referrals, you know, increase the spend and, um, and, you know, sort of spread us around and, and knowing what I know about the challenges of that destination where they have very high peaks, sometimes, um, you know, traffic can be a problem. So there's a lot of strategy I know that went in behind that from the folks at, uh, you know, tourism Tofino and all the operators, but it came off as very authentic and, and a value added service when I was shopping. And as a tourist, that really stood out to me. And that, that, that's the, one of the best practices that I've picked up on uh, lately that I've been impressed with. The other one I would say is, and it goes back to the, the re- retail fundamentals, is as frictionless as you can be, the better. So if you've mm-hmm. got high visitation from Asia, um, you know, make sure you've got the payment gateways that they're looking for. There's lots of stats that can show that your sales will lift if you've got that kind of that kind of um access you know i have independent merchants here who who take all forms of pay that chinese visitors would use um and that makes a huge difference as an example so just being attuned and and i would also say probably a tourism entity somewhere near where your shopping mall is or where your store is there'll be a wealth of information to tell you who's coming when are they coming what demographics so you know get those tourism entities out there to share that data with you and then that'll help you i think even uh, refine your your approach even more. Well, listen, it's been great. Um, I love the way we ended. Kind of as this community of interest is kind of the way we mm-hmm. began. You know, from from combining store traffic measurements to a referral program that kind of builds into a community of interest, but still you know works for everyone. It's a really great. Um, it's a really great group of strategies. So, listen, I want to thank you for for joining me on uh, the Voice of Retail, and I want to thank you. We worked together for a couple of years. I learned so much about uh, how to work with uh, with members and 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 really how to run a great event. So, I wanted to thank you for that. I I actually think of you often because you left a pair of dress pants here, and <laughs> and they seem to follow. Yeah, they seem to follow me somehow from office to office. I'm staring at them right now, I, and oh I've God, moved offices six times, but somehow. <laughs> Somehow they find their way here. So if you're looking for a nice, snappy pair, pair of uh, brown dress pants, we have them. Oh wow! Uh, and I was going to say, Michael, you I know, gonna... I've been, a, I'm a big fan of this podcast, and I think what you and Deanne and the team are doing to to leverage these different mediums uh, to connect to members, um, I think it's wonderful. And I, I'm such a proud member. We are a member of the association. I leverage the resources all the time. 
Um, and, you know, my last point would be to anyone listening, you know, make sure you're getting every bit of juice out of this membership that you can because there is so much value in it. What a great way to end. Listen, uh, we'll have you back on. Great conversation. I'm going to hold those pants hostage so you come and <laughs> visit the folks at RCC Perfect. next time you're in town. Uh, and until we see each other again, uh, have a great week. It's a busy week ahead. And uh, thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much. Take care, Michael. Hi, this is Jackie Ross from J. Ross Retail Recruiters. Join me and the leaders from the Canadian retail cannabis industry at the Retail Council of Canada Cannabis Summit, March 26th in Toronto. You'll hear from executives from Westleaf, Cannabis New Brunswick, High Tide Ventures, Mihi Cannabis, and Fire and Flower. Plus, I'll be moderating a panel on hiring for the retail cannabis industry featuring Chiaro, Alcana, National Access Cannabis, and the Friendly Stranger Corporation. That's RCC Cannabis Forum, March 26th. Learn more and register at retailcouncil.org. Christy, welcome to Voice of Retail Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You and I have known each other for, for many years, yeah. uh, but tell us, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about both yourself and uh, the Rent Frock Repeat business. Well, I actually came to Canada 20 years ago, believe it or not, and moved from Washington State. And I came from a background of retail sales and, and marketing and um, got to Canada and decided I needed to take a break from retail and got into some uh, executive recruiting and then became the VP of marketing for an agency and just kind of moved around a little bit here and there. And then I met my business partner, um, my, my to-be future business partner at uh, on the job, um, working for uh, uh, in admissions at a art institute. And that then literally a couple of years later, we launched Rent Frock Repeat. Award-winning site. You, yeah. you won the Canada Post uh, e-commerce award, I think, twice. last year. 20, yeah. Twice. Twice. We've two won time, twice. Yes. Two-time winner. Um <laughs> You know, I think you were onto that trend before most. Tell us a little bit about core concept behind that business. Sure. So when um, Lisa and I met, we kind of we always knew we wanted to do something together, but we were never really sure what it was. And we were invited to a wedding, and we were both complaining that we didn't want to spend hundreds of dollars on a dress that was going to sit in an already overstuffed closet, only to be worn once. And Lisa had read about a company in the States that rented dresses. And we thought, well, that's just brilliant. So we went online, we did the whole process. And when we got to check out, we realized they didn't ship to Canada. And it was literally a light bulb moment for us. And we thought, well, this is it. This is what we can bring to Canada. And a year later, we were up and running. But what's interesting is, you know, when we when we first launched the, the whole sharing economy, collaborative consumption was still really, really early to the scene. So it wasn't a big part of our play. Um, we just knew uh, that as we were kind of moving through the process that women really loved what we were doing. And it, it wasn't until we started to meet people face to face when we finally opened a showroom that we were seeing, it wasn't just about, oh my gosh, I get this great designer dress. There was something very freeing about not having to keep it in their closet. And that that really sparked that, hey, we really are part of this sharing economy. You know, you mentioned a couple of things that are interesting and, and ahead of 
ahead of time from a trend perspective, first of all, that you open showrooms. You were, yes. you were dot-com opening showrooms. I was reading some statistics in uh, in the U.S., and it, this applies to Canada. Something like 70% of what used to be pure plays now have physical stores, over eight, 850 physical stores. Um, so you were out there way in front, kind of realizing that there was a, there was still a need and a, and a value for uh, physical stores. You had one in Ottawa, right? One in Toronto, and I think you had two in Toronto, perhaps. Well, right? we had. You're right. So we had we we three months into launch, we were literally working out of Lisa's basement, strictly online. But we kept getting asked, "Can I try the dress on? Can I try the right, dress on?" Right. So we opened a real small showroom in Toronto, and then we moved into bigger space. Then we launched Ottawa, and then we actually just moved our big space to downtown in the path. So we want, cause we were kind of out in the West end and, and really wanted to see what would happen if we were downtown. So what we learned from that was, especially because they're special event dresses that mm. women just didn't, they were nervous about taking that chance so close to the event. So they really wanted to come touch and feel and try things on. And then once they did that and they built their whole wish list, they really didn't need to come back to see us for maybe another six months to a year. I remember the conversation that there were really you, you got two types of customers: those who frequented or frequently went to big events and just didn't want to buy five or six or seven dresses, but didn't want to show up in the same dress yes. five or six yes. different times. Yeah, and and then and then people who just don't go to a lot of events, uh, so didn't really feel like an investment in a high end um, dress was worthwhile because they were only going to one or two. So yeah, interesting absolutely. how that that segmented segmented down now. You were talking about a pivot in your business. Yes. And I, I was on your I was on your website. It's very exciting. Tell us all about the pivot and how you came to to think about your business in uh, in what's happening in retail today. Well, what's what was really interesting over the last few years? We we've it, it been in business for eight years, and which amazes me. It feels sometimes like it was yesterday, and then sometimes it feels <laughs> like it's been a hundred years. <laughs> So, um, no kidding. Yeah. But we, we kept getting women saying, do you rent blazers? Do you rent pants? Do you rent a suit? Uh, do you rent maternity wear? And we just started to see while that was happening, we started to see a lot more rental companies on the scene. So we, we knew that this was becoming not just um, you know, we were going to be the lone ones kind of holding the fort down. We saw that it was starting to be something that was, uh, more widely accepted, uh, there, cause mm-hmm. when we first were on the scene, there was a lot of education that had to happen, but as yeah, the, you were, you were a real, oh, you were a real evangelist, right? I totally. remember, you know, on your behalf, explaining it to people. And at first they, they, you know, they tell me I'm going to rent a dress. And yes. so you were, you know, you were an early evangelist of, of what is now the sharing economy. Yeah, right? it's so true. And, and we learned so much from that. And I, I think what's happened is, I mean, I, I don't want to toot our horn, but we really paved the way in Canada for other, other mm-hmm. people to start doing this. And now we're seeing it all over. So we were kind of keeping our eye on that and thinking, Hey, there's, there's more here than just dresses. And we looked at the way our, our model worked and we thought there's a better way that we can do this and a way that we can obviously grow our business, but also answer our customers' demand. And while we were doing that, we were noticing that in the U.S., the two big players, Rent the Runway and Gwynny B, went to that model. So they went to a subscription, Rent the Runway does, they still do single use 
but they also do um, like a monthly subscription and of rental. There's lots of subscription boxes out there, but I, I think yeah, like, the, the challenge, yeah, like you're, you're, yeah. you know, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of those. I was going to say, is this, what's the difference between your, like a stitch fix, right, uh, which is right. kind of the, probably the preeminent yes, um, yeah. monthly subscription service or rundle as Scott Galloway likes to call it a revenue bundle. What's the difference between what you're thinking about and, and a stitch fix type model? That's a great question. And, and, what we really were looking at was we're still rental. So with other companies that you're, you're keeping hanging on to things, certainly you could send something back if you didn't like it, but it's really, you're just accumulating, accumulating, accumulating. And there gets to a point where you're like, I have, I've hit maximum capacity in my closet and what I want, where we're saying, you can get your box and you can say, okay, I want four pieces and I want it to be a blazer, a dress, uh, pants and a blouse. And you can wear them for the month. And if you really love something, you really love it, then you can buy it, but you don't feel it. And then you're like, okay, well, I'll just send these back. I'll get new stuff next month. So it hmm. allows you to still have that, um, fulfill that desire sometimes to own things but you're, you're not, you don't have to own everything and you can just own the pieces that you feel like, okay, mm -hmm. these are the pieces I'll use over and over again. But gosh, I wore this for two weeks. Everyone saw me in this, this really bold blazer. I'm going to send that back and get something different. It, it, it makes me laugh because it, as you know, I was at the shopping channel for many years and, uh, like many apparel online retailers, you had what we called the uh, the rental program where customers would would buy something wear it and then return it yeah <laughs> you're you're, <laughs> you're like you're like a legitimate yeah. legitimate <laughs> legitimized uh you know less less fraudulent version of uh not less but totally uh version yes. I and mean, it's a great it's a great idea because you know the, it is a behavior uh for some and of course um it's uh it's interesting that you know if you love a piece you buy it, but otherwise you just keep uh, changing up your looks. That's, that's yes. a really interesting model. And I, I love that you brought the, the returns up because that's such a piece for the retailers. I think mm. what's interesting mm -hmm. is that we can provide um, uh, a solution for consumers and a solution for retailers because I was just mm. reading a Forbes article um, that Steve Dennis had wrote, written about uh, the ticking time bomb of e-commerce returns. And another mm -hmm. one said, we've created a monster retails growing return problem. And mm -hmm. it's, we can be that um, outlet for retailers to say, gosh, this particular item seems to be return heavy. Why don't we, you know, use rent frock repeat and still, you know, get the money that we want, but we're not mm -hmm. facing the, the reverse logistics and all the issues and it's also a good way for them, especially uh, brands that don't want to continue to mark down their items, their their inventory, because they feel it dilutes the brand. We can be that solution for retailers if they have merchandise that they're like, hey, this isn't, I'm not, I don't want to mark this down, but I want to still get it to consumers. We, we can be a platform for that as well. From your perspective, the model is like a closed loop. You send out a box of uh, product. It's wonderful product. Some is kept, some is returned. What happens to the returned product? Just like it would with our, our regular rental process. It goes through inspection, cleaning, you know, goes through that. If it needs repairs, we would handle any repairs and goes back into the system until we get to that point where we feel like, okay, it's, it's, um, 
it's no longer rentable. And maybe at that point we can either sell it at a discounted rate or return to vendor or do some other things that uh, we can do with that. Another facet that comes to mind is, is, and you brought it up is, is for brands who want to sample and test product and just promote product that they can get suddenly have a lot of brand or fashion or look out in the market. That's an interesting, uh, an interesting angle as well. Yeah. Hmm. There's some, you know, brands that are hesitant to, especially to to dip their toe in Canada because they don't know. And this is such a great way for them to do that without, uh, you know, having to get a store or worry about the the whole shipping across the border process. And it really is a great way for brands to test the market and, and to um, reach a new customer as well. I guess one of their metrics would be how many, you know, how many are purchased and right, how many are right. returned in the, in the flow. And, and that's um, so smart. Hmm. Now, the other Go thing ahead. I was going to say, Michael, is that one of the things we can offer that uh, brands that they don't really have access to is all the data behind the fit. Mm. So in that process, when someone sends their box back, they would actually say, hey, this fit great or this didn't fit so well, it was too tight in the arms, or it was too tight in the waist. And we can take all of that information and, and give share that with the brands that they would never get that information from, especially if it was purchased in store, in a retail store, and then returned. Well, this is all very exciting. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned Steve Dennis. Um, he actually, late breaking news, we've just, uh, Retail Council of Canada signed Steve Dennis to be a keynote speaker at Store in, oh, that's amazing. in the summer. That's so great. Uh, I've got to know uh, Steve actually on the on the circuit, so to speak. So we're in, in constant contact. And I thought he's, he's very insightful and uh, would be a great addition. Uh, so he'll be, that's in fact, awesome. I'll be interviewing him for a future edition of the Voice of Retail podcast, but a promotion. And we'll be talking about Shop Talk. So I'm um, glad you brought his name up. As always, you're, you're right there leading at the forefront. So congratulations. So I had a few technical gremlins uh, stepped over the last minute of my interview with Christy who uh, tells us to watch out for the all-new Renfrock repeat coming this fall. I'll be welcoming her back and then giving us an update. We said our farewells, but like I said, technical gremlins stepped on the last minute of our interview. Uh, so now, jumping right into retail this week, a couple of big stories uh, to start with. DSW is the, probably the biggest story in the news, certainly in Canada, uh, where they're talking about expansion, they're talking about a name change. Uh, they had weaker-than-expected results on the U.S. side, uh, but in Canada, it's full steam ahead. Uh, there's both uh, this great article here from Retail Insider, Craig Patterson's Retail Insider, and there's also a video interview with uh, Canadian president of the shoe company, Mary Turner, uh, and she articulates really well the opportunity. And, of course, the opportunity uh, is being created uh, in part from running a fantastic business, but also uh, by the absence or the departure of Payless, who, uh, interestingly, uh, Mary uh, Turner, and again, she's the president of the shoe company connected to DSW, uh, which is changing their name, uh, becomes uh, an opportunity for them where they go and take this smaller market spaces that uh, that are being abandoned uh, or left behind by Payless Shoes. So good article there from uh, Craig Stevens, uh, not Craig Stevens, Craig Patterson uh, from Retail Insider and a uh, great video from BNN. Uh, and many of these articles taken from uh, what we'll talk about t- just now are taken from the companion piece, so to speak. The Retail This Week e-news comes out each and every week. I pull that together for Retail Council of Canada. It is a compendium of all the more interesting, most interesting, most relevant uh, stories in the media for the past week in retail. Uh, 
Uh, other stories, and, and we're starting to see many more of them. I did actually a couple of interviews myself with uh, Yahoo Finance and 680 News in Toronto and uh, eMarketer and a couple other Winnipeg Free Press talking about cannabis. So it's a bit of a milestone coming up uh, in the Canadian market, actually a fairly big milestone with uh, the Ontario market opening up to bricks and mortar as of April 1st. Uh, that could be an entire podcast in and of itself. And in fact, next week, uh, I'll be at the Retail Council of Canada's Retail Cannabis Summit or Forum. I keep calling it Summit Symposium Forum. I keep naming it different things, much to the <laughs> Michelle's frustration at uh, Retail Council. But um, the net net of that is we're going to be having some great conversations uh, all about retail and uh, there is kind of a crescendo of information uh, peaking about uh, retail cannabis. So there's a story in uh, National Post, Cannabis Cafe, a hazy relic as marijuana's new retail paradigm takes over. So really, um, great picture here of a uh, fire and flower store um, where you can really see the difference. Uh, in no surprise, as I, off, as I make the point, or uh, made the point today, it's no surprise there's more things in common with retail, cannabis retail, than uh, there are things different from other retail. In other words, uh, all the same opportunities and challenges and, and excitement uh, from finding great people, finding great locations, building a compelling store, uh, all these things hold true. And you can really kind of see that expressed in, in stores like uh, several ones here, but this one imaged uh, or a picture of fire and flower. Uh, I included an article from CBC about the, the premier in uh, in uh, New Brunswick, talking about uh, plastic ban that uh, plastic ban consultation days away. So I included this interestingly because in many uh, municipalities they've uh, tried and wanted to plan uh, ban plastic bags. And I, Retail Council of Canada has kind of said, listen, if you if if we're going to do that, let's do that on a provincial wide basis because the patchwork of municipality to municipality is very difficult and difficult. Uh, difficult to deal with and costly. Um, so it's just an interesting article about, the. Uh, you know, we'd rather see the province in that case move than a patchwork of, of uh, municipalities. So uh, that from CBC. Um, there's also, let's see what else. We've got an article from um, over to the U.S. We're talking about uh, Miracle on 34th Street. So I mentioned last week we were talking about uh, the whole new Hudson Yards. And uh, this from the Robin Report. A uh, good article from David Katz, a really insightful, uh, really insightful uh, individual that I've met uh, down in the U.S. And uh, I read anything or consume anything he writes. So smart. And he just talks about how, you know, again, um, it's not a slam dunk that uh, Hudson Yards is going to be a success. Uh, certainly got a lot of press. It's big. It's audacious. Million square feet of uh, retail alone. Um, you know, is it, as they say, underserved or a small addressable market. It is the first indoor mall, practically speaking, on the island of Manhattan. Uh, and, uh, you know, my theory, and uh, Craig Patterson and I talked about this in an earlier podcast, is generally it's going to, it may not be net incremental, notwithstanding the Neiman Marcus that's open there that is the first one in Manhattan. It might just pull a lot of real estate from other parts of New York City. And what's interesting about that both you know, just as it reconfigures Manhattan from a retail perspective, but also from a taxpayer perspective, they received something like $6 billion worth of taxpayers' benefits, you know, compared to Amazon, two, three times the amount, including an entire $2 billion to extend, I think it was line seven of uh, the New York City subway to the Hudson Yards. So uh, I think we'll be talking about Hudson Yards on and off uh, for many, many months uh, as it continues to grow. 
Um, you know, I mentioned the bifurcation of retail. So Dollar General is opening 975 stores in fiscal 19. So you really can kind of see their, their net sales increased 8.5% to $6 billion. Um, you know, really, this from progressive growth. So this is a really big growth uh, in in the dollar store category. We continue to see that. And on a broader basis, I was looking at some numbers that talked about the number of stores closing. Of course, probably the biggest one in so far in 2019, I guess, would be Payless. There's a lot of uh, kind of like 2,000 stores. Uh, but net, net, there's 2,000 stores net over and above what's closing, opening. And, you know, here we have 975 stores uh, opening from Dollar General. Now, that does point to this bifurcation, right? So interesting Together, you've got Neiman Marcus, uh, which is the top luxury brand uh, department store in the U.S., opening a store, and you've got Dollar General opening up uh, a lot of stores. So it's interesting to see that kind of bifurcation uh, happening or unfolding right in front of us. Uh, Another good article from The Atlantic, long article on why urban millennials love Uniqlo. Uh, So uh, a good article. They posit, uh, can Uniqlo... Uh, inherit the gaps empire without repeating its mistakes Uh, so that's a really good article to read and from cnn thanks mary Kondo. the resale market is becoming bigger than fast fashion so interesting Uh, this is from you know you've got sites like trend trunk in the u.s where uh, the resale consumer is no longer a niche group it's everyone Uh, a little bit kind of connected to what uh, christy was saying with the rental market Uh, and in this case people are kind of clearing out their closets and and uh and people are are, um, are buying, and what is it, the, the CEO of ThreadUp in the States said, the last few years of growth and resale have been driven by early adopters, but now skeptics are coming around in droves. Uh, so uh, this Mary Kondo from Netflix could be a cultural phenomenon, but I think she is more likely a reflection uh, than a creator. So let's keep a close eye on that. Uh, from CNN, Amazon gets an edge with secret squad of PhD economists. So like any other week, there's about 10 interesting Amazon stories, uh, everything from continuing reverberations of the changes that's made in the marketplace, uh, all kinds of different stories. But this one, I thought, I picked this one out. They have 150 PhD economists who are running all kinds of models. Talk about art and science, man. Um, They make it the largest employer in the field behind institutions like the Federal Reserve. I mean, it it reminds me of um, thinking about uh, weather forecasting. Walmart has you know, meteorologists, because it just is so important uh, to predict weather patterns uh, and what products are going to be demanded. So Amazon has 150 PhD economists. Um, So fascinating. Um, Another fascinating thing, and I think I've mentioned this before, that it was in underway, this from New York Times, Philadelphia bans cashless stores amid growing backlash. So we've talked in a couple of episodes about the growth of, uh, of cashless in retail, uh, and the extreme expression of that is, is over in Sweden, where uh, they instituted, kind of tried to move cashless forward, and actually it got a bit ahead of them. You know, you, where such a small percent now is done by cash. In fact, you know, 4,000 and 4,500 Swedes of having chips embedded in their hands, that may be a little too far for most, but there are really some societal impacts to that um, because uh, it's a growing backlash because. Um, you know, really not everyone is uh, and can have um, these kind of current credit accounts. And it really uh, is a good issue to discuss. And uh, Philadelphia here taking the four, taking the lead and saying we do not want cashless stores uh, to happen. And I guess from that perspective, you probably won't see an Amazon Go store there, for example, 
which is a totally cashless store. So interesting and something to keep the, our eye on kind of as it fits in uh, what people want uh, and how they want to transact with retail. Uh, and a news for retail entrepreneurs. Uh, great story here. Vancouver cannabis retail is vying for early markets. So the Vancouver market, like I think Ontario will in the fullness of time evolve to in the cannabis space is and will be a market of entrepreneurs. So uh, the Donnelly Group and City Cannabis uh, starting some interesting uh, concepts and you get a little bit of buzz in the market because I think one of the concepts name was the Hobo Hobo Cannabis, which was seen as somewhat a odd choice to say the least. Uh, of a name. Actually, Doug Stevens and I were talking about that uh, at a Microsoft event uh, just in passing. We just chatted quickly and we were talking about cannabis and he, he brought that up and uh, we both kind of shook our heads and went, okay, maybe it's the you know unique culture, but it does still sound like a strange name choice. Um, but anyway, we wish him, of course, luck. This is the Vancouver Courier. Uh, and then from CBC, a great fun story um, for the past, present, and future for sale at the Villaray shop. So it's a neat, neat in a, uh, interview uh, from CBC. And in fact, uh, there's a video uh, with the future owner, Sylvain Morin. And uh, watch that because it's really interesting, his perspective on the, you know, you wouldn't call it a knickknack store, but it's certainly a unique store. Uh, so that's really worth a watch uh, or uh, both a watch and a read. Uh, in less than positive news uh, in the small area, Ontario retailer Green Earth uh, is going out of business, closing all of its 29 locations, mostly uh, B-Mall-based uh, locations. Green Earth had a mix of uh, interesting product, uh, and uh, I guess the formula just unfortunately wasn't working for them, so closing 29 stores. This is from the CBC. Uh, big news in the marketing space, so Unified Commerce. Instagram now will let you buy products directly from the app. There's some recode that was in many stories. So this is kind of a breakthrough, right? So taking the visual, it used to be a visual step, where you would see something on Instagram on a hosted page and be having to go from there to the, you know, the retailer's website and transact there. And uh, this is going to be done within the app. So this could change a lot of things. It's pretty interesting. Uh, so pay attention to that, I would say, if you're in marketing. All right, well, that's a wrap on this edition of The Voice of Retail. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Be sure and tell your friends about the podcast, The Voice of Retail. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of M.E. LeBlanc & Company, and you can learn more about me on www.meleblanc.co or, of course, uh, look for me on LinkedIn. Join me again next week for highlights from the RCC Retail Cannabis Conference that's happening next week. St- tickets still available, by the way. Uh, and an interview with Andy Andy Palelas, the Chief Revenue Officer, High Tide Ventures. So until then, have a great week. <laughs>